prepare our hearts to hear your word. That we would allow our full attention to be upon what you want to say to us. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us, no matter where we're at, in our state of mind, in our in our uh, position in life, no matter what age we are, we pray that you would draw us even closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses uh, 20 through 28 will be our text this morning. Um, and you know, last week we looked at verses 1 through 19. And um, after it was finished, Timothy said, I thought you are just going to go through 11 and then do 19 through 28 next week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so... Um, probably was, uh, but the key is they all kind of connect. I mean, that's the way God had Paul write the letter, right? So that one section, the first section connects with the next section, it connects with the next section, it connects with the next section, and so every one of them are related, and it's kind of difficult to find a stopping point, and it's kind of difficult to start at that stopping point without, re, you know, going back to the other ones a little bit. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 20 through 28, and going to look back a little bit to remind us about what God, through the Apostle Paul, was writing to us um, before he got to this point. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 20 through 28, and if you would stand, if you can stand, please, if you'd like to. But now, but now Christ is risen indeed from the dead. And has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. He, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the Apostle Paul who was able to put things together in such a way that, um, that it's understandable even though sometimes difficult. Father, I thank you for the truth of this text, the truth of your word. God, I pray that as we uh, look at this, as we um, exposit this text, God, that you will open it to us and help us to understand it, help us to accept it, and Father, help us to glorify in what it says. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. And as you look at verse 20, it, is, uh, it, it really requires us to go back 
into some of the verses before that, especially in this chapter. Uh, but now Christ is risen indeed. And I wrote that in mine because some of your, your scriptures will go, Christ is indeed risen, okay? Mine just says Christ is risen from the dead, okay? I want you to see that this is emphatic, okay? That there is not any question whatsoever about the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, okay? And the Apostle Paul writes it that way and just saying, but now Christ is risen, it doesn't really get that emphasis in there, okay? And I want you to see that it's something that he is not leaving up to discussion or up for anybody else to decide. It's a matter of fact, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, okay? So now he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and, and become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You've got to look back a little bit at that because when you look in 15.1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our, scripture, our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, so we take all of that, Christ is indeed risen, and we look back at what He said. I preached to you the gospel, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that He was, lived a sinless, perfect life, that He, that he died on the cross, that God, that He ra- rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven. Now he sits at the right hand of God, waiting till he makes all of his enemies his footstool, right? And so we've got to kind of go back to that's what he said. And then we say that, that some say, he says, so if I preach that to you and you believe that, how can you now say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So he's getting to all of this. And then he says, uh, but if there is no resurrection in verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And he says, if Christ is not risen, there's really a lot of problems. One of those problems is the idea that... Um, that our preaching is meaningless, our faith is futile, it's no good, we're liars, we're false witnesses. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead and we tell people he is, then we're either fooling ourselves or we're lying to them, okay? If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then guess what? We're still in our sins. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then our loved ones who have already died have perished, and guess what? They have no hope. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then we, here in verse 19, of all men are most miserable. Because we make all kinds of sacrifices to live the way God calls us to live, the way Christ calls us to live. And if Christ is not risen from the dead, it's all for nothing. And you could just live however you wanted to. Go about spending your money any way you wanted to. Going about having all the good time you wanted to have. Traveling all over the world on the money you give to the church instead. You know? And, I mean, you could do that if Christ is not risen from the dead. But now, Christ is risen indeed. Okay? Do you see the connection? Do you see why I put that, that emphasis there? Christ is risen indeed. But now, Christ is risen indeed. Or, but definitely, Christ is risen indeed from the dead. And so, because of that, we are not, our preaching is not meaningless. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not futile. We are not liars. We are not false witnesses. We are not still in our sins. Why? Because Christ is risen indeed from the dead. Our loved ones who have already died, they have not perished. They are in the presence of a holy, mighty, righteous, loving God. We, of all men, are not most pitiable, most miserable. We are the most happy, the most joyful, the most hopeful of all. Because guess what? We know what's coming for us when our bodies are done. And you know what? I remember a few years ago uh, that there was a phrase that was going around in, our, in, the, in the senior men's, men of wisdom Sunday school class. 
We're just waiting on the tarmac. Okay? Remember that phrase? Just waiting on the tarmac. Right? Because, you know, when you get closer to that age, my dad is 85 years old, okay? And, of course, um, you know, you can kind of get where you just, you know it's about to happen. You know pretty soon it's your, this life is going to be over. And so, yeah, you look back on all of the things that you did. You're happy about all that. You love your kids and your grandkids. You love your family. Hopefully you love your church. And yet you're looking forward to that takeoff time. You're looking forward to that takeoff time because you know that's something better than even right here, okay? And I love this life. I think this life is great. I, I love the beauty of the morning sunrise, even though it's really at the wrong time. I love <laughs> the, the beauty of the morning sunrise. I even love the sunset, okay? I love it all. I, and, and yet, all of that, I know there's a better one coming. Why? Because Jesus Christ has risen indeed. He is alive and, and, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, why did he have to become the first fruits? Because if God did not raise his own son from the dead, then forget about us, right? I mean, you get that picture. If God was not going to raise his own son from the dead, then why in the world would he worry about raising us from the dead, okay? So he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It's kind of like, I mean, any of you ever take a nap in the afternoon? Anybody? See, I'm, I'll, see, I mean, I'm just not a nap person, okay? It's like, we, I mean, I can take a nap, all right? I just can't wake up from them, all right? And so if I'm going to take a, I can't take a 15-minute power nap. It's got to be a, like a three-hour power nap, okay? And so I'm just going to stay awake and power through it, okay? Um, but, you know, in, the, in, in here, he says, he, he uses a word, this phrase in verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep. And in here he uses it again. They have fallen asleep. Why? Because one day they're going to get up. Okay? It's going to be a power nap for them, if you will. They're going to get up from that if they are in Christ. So he says, listen, uh, now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Because guess what? One day they're going to get up. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection. What man was that? By whom death came? Adam. Poor guy. We blame him for everything, don't we? You know? Here's the secret of the matter. If, if it was you, you'd have done the same thing. All right? And I might have gone for a different fruit, you know, but I'd have done the same thing too. All right? Doesn't matter. Any of us faced with that circumstance, we would have been the ones that, that had brought sin into the heart of mankind. Um, so the woman, when the woman saw that the tree... Uh, here it is, verse 15 in chapter 2. The Lord, put, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, see, that goes to show that the woman is the one that's supposed to provide the meals for the man. Pastor heretic. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I'm glad you laughed. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then sin entered the heart of mankind through Adam, through Adam, and with sin, death. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And I can imagine God is kind of real gentle with that. Have you eaten? Seriously? Like I told you not to. The man said, it was her fault. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And it's like, "Mm, guess what? And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So we're passing the buck all along, aren't we? Doesn't do any good because guess what? Sin entered mankind. Sin entered the heart of man because of what they did. And verse 19, God is speaking to Adam. He says, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, dust you are, and to dust you will return. Sin entered the heart of mankind with one man. And because sin entered the heart of man with, through one man, one man, then guess what? Life enters into man by one also. For as in Adam all die, even so, in Christ all shall be made alive. Now we've got to make sure that we get this picture here. In Christ all shall be made alive. I want you to know that it's not saying that everybody in the world will be made alive in Christ. It's not saying that. It's saying those who are in Christ, all of them will be made alive. Okay? You get that picture? In order to be made alive, to be raised from the grave, to have eternal life, to live for it forever in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, you have to be in Christ. Those who are not in Christ, those who do not believe, those who have not followed Him, those who have not given their lives to Him, they will not be raised to live in the presence of God. For as in Adam all die... Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. See, there's an order to this, okay? Christ, the first fruits, he had to be raised first. And afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. Those who are Christ's or those who are in Christ at his coming. Now, you know, you can look at that and go, wait a minute. Is that when all, when all the bodies are going to be raised? Weren't some of them taken already? You know, you think about those that were raised at the... Um, Resurrection of Christ, the graves came open, and they walked, and they spoke to their friends and talked to their friends. And, uh, and so I can't argue when all of that is going to happen. I can't give you that picture of all of that. I, I just can't tell you exactly how that's going to happen. But what I can tell you is that when Christ comes back, all those who have died since that time, okay, that's when he's going to raise their bodies. Okay? And now look at the thief on the cross, the one that, that, that said... Um, Uh, repented of his sins. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay? And so, I don't have all of that picture. And honestly, I'm not concerned about it. Okay? Because if I have to lay, my body has to lay in the grave for a thousand years after I die before Christ returns and and resurrects my body, I guess I'm just not going to be that concerned about it. Okay? Because I know that when he comes back, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And I will live in that glorified body in his presence throughout for, for, for eternity, okay? So I'm just, I'm just not going to fret about that a whole lot. And so we see now he is risen, and, and he is going to raise us from the dead. Um, <clears throat> for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ also be made alive. But each one in his own order. Um, Christ the first roots, afterward those who are Christ that is coming. How do we become Christ? How do we, how are we, how do we get to where we're in Christ? Well, guess what? There has to be a second birth. Um, second birth, John chapter 3. 
John chapter 3. I meant to mark this. I didn't do it. John chapter 3. Remember who came to Jesus in the middle of the night? That's right. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, that's an interesting verse. Because some people, in this passage, because some people take that, unless the one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. All right? And so what we've got to see is that when we look at this, it's not talking about being born of that water. Okay? You understand? So you're not, baptism does not save you, okay? Because what he's talking about here the whole time is, is, is a physical birth and a spiritual birth. So when he talks about you have to be born of the water, he's talking about the mother giving birth and the water breaking, okay? That's what he's talking about. You can see that when you go on further down and he says, um, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So you can connect those two and understand that that is true and that is real, Okay? And that that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about you have to be born of the flesh and you have to be baptized and you have to be born of the spirit. Okay? It's a second birth, not a third. And if, if being born of the spirit happened because you were baptized, <coughs> it wouldn't have been stated this way. Okay? So baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't cause you to be born of the spirit. Okay? <coughs> he's not talking about that kind of water. He's talking about being born of the flesh. So there's two births for Christians. The birth when you're born physically. Okay? When your mother gives birth. There's that second birth when the Spirit of God births you into the family of God, okay? And that's what he's talking about. And so, that's where we get that life. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. We see, <clears throat> but each one in his own order, Christ first. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Christ the first fruits. I got to ask you a question. What about those people that, were, that Jesus raised from the dead? What about them? Because we've got to answer that question, right? Were they not the first fruits? No. Because guess what? They died again. All those people that Jesus raised from the dead, Lazarus and, 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 and any of the others, guess what? And even the ones in the Old Testament that were raised from the dead, guess what? They all died again. So they cannot be considered the first fruits. Jesus Christ died again, rose again, never to die again. Let me say that again so we get it right because I got it wrong. Jesus Christ rose from the grave never to die again. Okay, so that's why he is the first fruits. And after him, those who are Christ's will be raised at his coming. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Then comes the end. You know, it's pretty interesting here. This idea of um, uh, the end. When is it? When is the end when Jesus is going to come again? when he's going to uh, gather his church and take us all to be with him. John 14, 6. I love that. I love that, you know. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. He's going to come back. He's going to gather his people, his followers, those who love him, to go with him. And guess what? 
Where is this? If I can find it, here it is. But I would not have you, it's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It's, it's again, one of my favorite passages because it gives us hope, great hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. There's that phrase again, those who have fallen asleep. Why? Because they're going to wake up, okay? Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Somebody said, we know it's going to be Baptists. Because <laughs> they're the most dead in their worship of everybody, you know. Uh, I mean, you see it in the in. Um, I mean, I used to do it, standing there in the in, in the uh, invitation. I'm holding on to the back of the pew, so God won't move me, right? And also, so I won't be doing this. Okay, uh, it's a bad joke. <laughs> For if we believe, especially if you're Baptist, it's a bad joke. <laughs> For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now, I don't know which one you want to do, okay? I'm personally, man, I, I'd love to be here, still alive when Jesus comes back, okay? Watching all of that and then going, woo, let's go, you know? I just think it'd be great. But it's going to be great no matter what. It's going to be great whether I'm in the grave or whether I'm not in the grave. When he comes back and he says, let's go, the, the, the shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet sounding, guess what? It's going to get us all. It's going to gather us together, and we're going to go. We're going to be with him forever. For the Lord himself, will decide, I read that three times, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a great funeral text, but you know what? It's also a great worship text, okay? Because we can all rejoice in what's going to happen. And, and, and that is um, rely, reliant on what we're reading in this text. Because if Christ is not raised, guess what? None of that's going to happen. But now Christ is indeed risen from the dead. And then comes the end. We don't know when that's going to happen. Don't really care. Every time somebody says, well, let's take a study of the book of Revelation to find out more about the end times, I'm going... I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the end times. People are going to fall away from God, okay? God's going to send judgment so that he can call them back to him. And they're going to go, nope, not interested. God's going to send more judgment. And still they're not going to repent. And God's going to send more judgment. Pretty soon God is going to go, all right, it's time. Jesus, go get them, okay? That's what's going to happen. And if you look in the book of Revelation, you can see, I believe you can see, that most of that is a warning to people who know God, who know Jesus, that we need to be busy telling other people about Jesus so that, guess what? When that time comes, they will be ready to repent. Somebody eagle says, <laughs> I, 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 I look around, and, and I'm not the greatest evangelist, okay? I do my, I try to talk to people about Jesus. But, you know, when, when you see so many people in the church particularly. In the world, I get it, I understand. But in the church, said, well, let's study the book of Revelation. I'm going, well, let's study how to share our faith. Because guess what? On that day, everybody's going to go. But tomorrow, somebody you know might go. And if all we're doing is studying the book of Revelation and not telling people about Jesus Christ, guess what? That person that you know that is gone without hearing Jesus, they're gone. They're not going to wake up in the end, okay? They're not going to be resurrected to life. 
with Jesus Christ. And so um, I, I, I guess you, you know, I have a bit of a different viewpoint about the book of Revelation than a lot of people. <coughs> For he must reign, and then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority. Uh, and that phrase there, that word then and when, those words are, um, are uh, in, in, in a tense that, that gives us the idea that there's not a definite understanding of when that's going to happen. Okay? In fact, um, it could happen. How do I say this? From the time that Jesus died and rose to now is almost 2,000 years. And guess what? He hasn't come back yet. And throughout time, from the time of the writing of many of these letters, they thought, well, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. So what we have to do is we have to be careful about how we define soon, you know? And we have to understand that it may not be in our lifetime, all right? And then, and, and, and then, um, and then the length of time between the resurrection of believers and Christ delivering the kingdom is not given, okay? So even then it says this, um, that uh, each one of, in his own order, Christ the first fruits, since he was raised, and this time is nearly 2,000 years. And yet, guess what? Those who believe in him, who, you know, have not been raised. He has not returned. So that time is almost 2,000 years. Then there could be a time uh, between that when um, after he comes, before he sets everything under his feet, and that's an undetermined un, um, amount of time. We don't know how long that's going to be, okay? Uh, the words then and when both indicate indefinite periods of time, possibly quite long intervals of time. So when you look at this phrase here, um, then comes the end, then. In five years, in 20 years, in 4,000 years, it could mean any of those or something anywhere between or even greater than that, okay? <coughs> so we have to understand that when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, we don't know when that's going to happen. But when he does that, he's going to put an end to all rule and all authority and power other than whose? His. He's going to be the one that rules. He's going to be the one that reigns. Everybody, every knee will bow, right? Every knee will bow. Not all of them will bow in worship of Jesus Christ, but all of them will bow in understanding that he is Lord, that he is the one to reign, all right? The last enemy that will be defeated or destroyed is death, okay? He's going to put, he's going to reign till all his enemies are under his feet, uh, principalities and powers, demons, um, sin, evil, hatred, all of those, it's going to have an end. And then the last one that's going to be put, destroyed is death. And I just love that picture. I love that whole idea. In fact, you can move down to verse 50, uh, and this will come again, but we'll, quote, we'll talk about it a little bit. Verse 50 in this, in this chapter. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But... Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory over what? The victory over death, sin, hell, and the grave. Why? Because now Christ is indeed risen. 
and put all things under his feet. All things under his feet, except, of course, God the Father, who gives him the authority to put all things under his feet. Okay? And so verse 27, that's kind of what that means. He has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things under his feet, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. So who, he who put all things under Jesus is God the Father, so he is not under Jesus. Got that? Understand. Now, when all things are made subject to him, to Jesus, then the Son himself will be subject to him. Okay? So the Son, Jesus Christ, will then be subject to God the Father, who put all things under him, the Son, that God may be all in all. Now, I look at this, and, and I try to connect these other verses, these other passages, because I see, I see great, great hope in all of that, that there is a God who has a Son who died for us, and He rose from the grave. And because He rose from the grave, if we have placed our faith in Him, Jesus Christ, then guess what? He will raise us from the grave. And it's not the end of everything. Our bodies will be raised, our bodies will be glorified, and we will spend eternity with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I, I don't know about you, but this gives me great hope, gives me great assurance. And I wonder, I wonder if you have that same assurance that you will spend eternity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit because you know that you are in Him, that you have the life that He talked about, that you were not just born once, but you were born again through the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for the truth of Your Word, the challenge of Your Word. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today that has not trusted in Your Son, that doesn't have this assurance of a resurrection of eternity in heaven with You, that, Father, today they will repent of their sin, that they will come to You for that forgiveness and for that assurance, and that we may rejoice with them as they are born into the family of God. Father, we thank You and praise You. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to